Welcome to the show, everybody. Our guest, Greg Schmaus, is best known as the CEO of Healing 4D. And Greg is also a holistic health practitioner, a shamanic energy healer, a massage therapist, and a Czech practitioner. And he's also been on the podcast. I think he was on around four months ago. Um, and a lot of you love that podcast as well. I highly recommend listening to that one. I was going to say before you listen to this one, it probably doesn't matter that much, but just to, or at least listen to this one, then listen to that one next. Um, but Greg is, Greg is a special human being. I, I've, I've actually loved Greg for a long time. I think I've been following him for two years. Um, yeah, he, he is one of my favorite guests. I remember actually coming across his podcast with Paul Check. And being so impressed by it, I sent it to my mom. <laughs> this was back, yeah, I think two years ago or something. I was like, mom, you have to check this out. He's amazing. And just to be able to have him on the podcast is a is a pretty incredible experience. I, I really love him. And um, you'll tell just by the energy of this podcast that me and Greg have a special connection. Like we were just, first of all, this was an incredibly vulnerable, deep conversation. Um, it was also very calm, you know? Like it, it, you know, it was one of those podcasts that a lot of you love when I get into this mode with guests, but just like, you know, this is one of those podcasts where we were vulnerable about ourselves in the moment. Meaning if something like we were able to hold space for each other in the manner that if actually something came up in the moment, we could actually discuss it together. Um, like there's a lot of times I think in life where, Th- there's all there's always micro triggers all the time i think in most relationships friendships even acquaintances like you're being like triggered on a micro level constantly just because yeah things are triggering traumas and people but it's like it's not big enough for you a lot of time for you to even notice or you to even care and the difference with greg and i is anytime any of those micro triggers would come up they'd be like hey man i'm actually feeling this way like what's your what's your perspective on this and it was really beautiful because, yeah, just like able to like we were able to go into a childhood and our anxieties and our anything we have and just discuss it openly on the podcast, which is just such a unique thing. I can't I'm not going to say I can't do that with everybody, but not everybody is honest and vulnerable and authentic enough for me to feel safe to do that and vice versa. So yeah, Greg, Greg is very, very special. And this was a, yeah, like I said, great podcast. And there's a lot of things we covered actually. So in the conversation, we dive into Greg's story of being the invisible child. Um, one who essentially never felt seen or heard and was left with expressing himself primarily through sports. He was a phenomenal athlete. And what happened was he actually got a physical injury in college, which led to Greg developing OCD and anxiety disorder, paranoia and insomnia. It was really intense. Um, he talks about this on Paul Check's podcast in depth about OCD and the brutality of that. Um, we also talk about how prone the human mind and our memories are to manipulation um, and how trauma disconnects us from our instinctual nature, our in- intuition and our ability to trust ourselves, which is something that Greg and I are both essentially dedicating 2023 to um, me and my trip to Mexico and learning to trust that I'm going to be okay without over planning things like I usually do. And uh, Greg, as he shares in the podcast, 
We also talk about the difference between questioning yourself and doubting yourself and how there is actually a very big difference. Um, we explored my, my two major fears, uh, homelessness and abandonment. And again, how they're pertaining to my, my upcoming trip to Mexico. Um, we also talk about how we abandon ourselves out of fear of others abandoning us. And this is something that you'll hear about on the podcast. It's a very interesting thing, how he brought it up. Um, we also talk about the two paths in life, which are the path of the low ego and the path of the high ego, i.e. empaths and narcissists, and how both of them, how the, the path of the low ego is all about developing ego, and the path of the high ego, the narcissist, is about dissolving ego. Um, we also talk about why most empaths develop codependency, um, how Ram Dass's work in many ways represents the flourishing of the feminine within all of us, and lastly, how our true nature is who we are at childhood. So yeah, we like, and this isn't even all of it. This was this went in so many beautiful directions. So as I said, this is a fascinating, be- beautiful, vulnerable podcasts and I, I love greg dearly and i hope you all enjoy it before we begin i want to take a moment to thank our first sponsor of the show listening to smile and its founder and personal friend of mine ian morris listening to smile is one of the companies leading the movement to bring frequency-minded music to the mainstream and for anyone who doesn't know frequency-minded music is music that is infused with binaural beats and frequencies that enhance and speed up our body's natural healing mechanisms and ian's music is actively healing the world and is currently inspiring open-minded leaders in silicon valley to include his music in their products and to help them create a workplace culture that is focused on mental health and well-being and i personally use listening to smiles products every single day to support me with stress relief and is my music of choice for my daily meditation practice and listening to smile has two main programs the first is their personal wellness program and this is for personal use and this consists of healing albums for stress relief pain relief and anxiety relief and the second program is their affiliate program this is what i'm currently part of and this is for commercial use and this is the exciting one so what you get with this is two free starter albums and one brand new album every single month you also get access to monthly live coaching events with founder ian morris and commission earnings on album sales a 50 percent discount on all music purchases and licensing right licensing rights to use and resell lts music for commercial use so If you're interested in transforming your life and entering the expanding frontier of frequency-minded music, be sure to go to www.listeningtosmile.com and experience it for yourself. And at checkout, make sure to use code ANTON to get 40% off all albums and $100 off of their affiliate program. So enjoy, everyone. I also want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor of the show, Vidara, and their My Indigo Sun magazine. The mission of My Indigo Sun is to help you live a healthy and inspired life and is dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest information related to the realms of the body, mind, and spirit. And I actually met the founder, Katerina, um, at an event earlier this year. And within five minutes, it was very clear that we were aligned and that we were going to be doing a partnership. And like myself and many of you, the people of Vidara are dreamers who see that the beautiful world we see ahead of us starts with us. 
So in addition to being their in-house podcaster, I'm also part of the working group helping my Indigo son to transition into a world-class publication. So if you're interested in transforming your life and taking part in an evolving spiritual community, be sure to go to www.myindigosun.com and check out the magazine for free. And now on to our podcast with Greg Schmaus. All right, Greg Schmaus, welcome to the show, man. I'm excited to be back here. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, dude. So uh, as we literally just talked about 10 seconds ago, the jumping off question I, I want to ask you, and because we never actually got into this, but it's pretty much the story of your life. And I know last time we didn't end up jumping on it. And specifically, mm. things I, I'm very curious about, um, for anyone that doesn't know, is you had a history dealing with OCD. And you, mm. you dealt with that. And also, but for the purposes of this story, I'd actually like us to start at the beginning as much as possible. So, like, you know, like mm. little kid Greg, you know, I find that the most fascinating thing is seeing that journey from childhood <clears throat> and seeing what is the same and what is different than who we turn into. And just, yeah, mm. take us on that whole journey, brother. I'd love to hear it. Mm. It's funny when you asked me that question, which prior to recording, you saw the reaction of telling your story. And, you know, little Greg that you just talked about was very much the invisible child who was afraid of being seen, mm. who never felt heard, never kind of had a voice. I was very, very quiet. I didn't really speak all that much. And so for me, sharing my story is actually me feeling seen and feeling heard with which actually feels very vulnerable mm. for that like younger part of me so anytime i go on a podcast and the first question is like tell us your story it's way harder for me to actually go into that than ask, asking me a question of like you know holistic health or spirituality mm. like that stuff's easy for me because it's not personal yeah exactly So, like the personal question is like oh that invisible child's gonna be seen so yeah i was very i was very quiet and um i always used my body initially as my way of expressing myself which is why i got into sports i was very athletic i was kind of always that kid that whatever sport he played he was like the best athlete really but outside yeah wow. but outside of that i was like socially awkward. I didn't really talk much. I was like, that was my way of like feeling validated. Mm. And, you know, I played soccer, I was ski racer, but then I got into golf and golf was really like my big passion that I ended up leaving home at 16 and I moved down to South Carolina. I went to a golf and tennis academy and my whole dream was to play on the PGA tour. That's what like I was always kind of like working towards and I ended up getting a, a scholarship to play division one golf in Texas at the university of Houston. Oh. And that's where my journey really changed. That's where there was a big turning point where I, how old, how old were you? I was 18 Gotcha. at the time. Yeah. Um, where I experienced a physical trauma. I had to have surgery, went under anesthesia, and as I was kind of like coming out of that and recovering, that's when I started to experience a lot of like OCD, a lot of 
like oh. chronic anxiety, like panic attacks, insomnia. Like that's when my whole like healing journey started was wow. back in college. And, you know, I tried all like the conventional approaches and nothing really helped. And that's where eventually I kind of got into more of the holistic health world and kind of Paul Check's teachings. And that's where after a couple of years, he became, you know, my coach and mentor and did many years of healing work. And that's kind of really what kind of redirected me away from my athletic pursuits and kind of into the work that I'm doing now. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting that you say that you, yeah, you had this, if, if I recall correctly, a surgery that brought on OCD and insomnia, because I, I think including myself, I think a lot of people discount the physical, how the physical impacts the emotional. I think a lot of the time we put them in two boxes. Like if you have a physical injury, it's a physical problem and it has a physical impact on your body and that's it. And then like what you just said is like you had this surgery, like a physical surgery, and then you ended up getting OCD and insomnia. And did you say depression? Uh, there was some depression, but it was mostly like chronic anxiety. And, anxiety. You know, OCD was the big one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm just like, wow. And then, you know, you get into the, the gut microbiome and then yeah. like, you know, the new literature is all about the gut impacting the mind and the emotional state. And like, dude, like, you know, I, I study Ben Greenfield. I study Paul Check. I study all of these people. I know all of this stuff. You know what I mean? But a lot of the time it still doesn't land for me. Like I, I know it cognitively, but you know, I, I can't feel how my gut impacts my mind. I, like I feel Anton Zakor has a, it's almost like I'm a static entity where it's like Anton has a certain level of mental health. Um, he's sensitive. He's emotional. These are the boxes I kind of put myself in. Like I'm sensitive, I'm emotional. And I usually go through, you know, bouts of anxiety or depression when there is a stimulus is usually not necessarily out of the blue is usually like my environment is emotionally toxic, um, physically toxic, but mostly emotionally or work is stressful. So it's usually like for me, I can always find a physical, like a physical reason for any emotional change. Usually it's not starting on the emotional level. And so from your perspective, from everything you've learned about that mind body connection, what do you actually think instigated you know, the OCD, the anxiety, the insomnia from that occurrence. Well, I could, I could explain it or theorize in many different ways, but what I actually think is, you know, I went under anesthesia and anesthesia takes you kind of like as close to like death oh. as you can go without actually going there. Because it's taking you into such a deep state of unconsciousness. And your whole, you know, autonomic system, everything is slowing down to such a degree that it's really taking you out of the world that you knew. And it's almost like anytime you go under anesthesia, it's very much like a death and rebirth process. So mm. I think that the surgery and the anesthesia 
the going into it and then awaking out of it was a huge transition point in my journey. And, you know, something my girlfriend once said, which always stuck with me is, it's amazing what the body will take on for the evolution of the soul. And mm. I think my soul's path in this lifetime was to be a healer and to be a teacher. It wasn't to be an athlete. And that surgery, that death and rebirth process was a redirecting of my path onto what is more in alignment with what I came here to do. And the anxiety, the OCD, all of that stuff was kind of like my initiation as, let's say, a wounded healer of mm -hmm. like, I have to go through my own firewalk first before I can support anyone else with theirs. Because if I don't go through my own, then I'm just like approaching it from like intellectual knowledge, not authentic experience. Yeah. So I think more on like a, I guess you could say esoteric level. <laughs> yeah. That's really what was happening inside of me. Um, but also, you know, there were little details that showed up. Like, for example, the first night when I was recovering from my surgery, I went to sleep and I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought I saw like a person in the doorway, which, you know, sometimes when you're waking out of like your dream state, sometimes there's projections of your psyche. Totally. Or some people believe you might be like seeing into other dimensions of reality or whatever yeah. it might be. I don't know whatever it is, but I kind of like saw this being in the doorway. It was like this woman. I was just like kind of looked a little scary and dark. And I'm like, I've never experienced this before. So it kind of like created a stress response inside of me. And at the time, I was still very much like physically compromised. I was very vulnerable. I couldn't get up like I wasn't able to walk around. And so after that, for a couple of months, anytime I was like indoors, I would always be like checking doors to make sure there was no one there. And Whoa. it kind of created like this almost like obsessive compulsive, like looping pattern of always needing to like check any door to make sure there was like no one there. And that's when like the pattern in my mind started kind of like constantly looping on things you know, uh, constantly repeating things and looping back and forth. And, you know, people might call it like intrusive thoughts and things like that. So I experienced all of that kind of like internal chaos. And so there were like little details of that experience that did act as a little bit more of a trigger. But I do think that I called that in for a reason. Mm. You know, so you can obviously look at it from different vantage points. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just want to say right now, my audience is super woo-woo and open-minded. So for the remainder of this conversation, bro, if you want to go into like the esoteric, man, like I literally for the last, um, like I've been developing my, my psychic abilities for last in a big way, two months. Um, in a really, and I've been like kind of talking about that very openly. So they're very open to all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, believe me, like they won't think you're any crazier than me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but like when you, when you're saying that, God, there's a lot of fascinating things. Like the person in the door is interesting too. Cause like I've had paranormal experiences myself. Yeah. Um, that's, that's an interesting one. I've had channeling experiences. Um, yeah paranormal and like i don't know if you, if you experienced this but 
when it happens, like you're so sure it's real. Like it's just, it's so, Mm -hmm. it's so real to you. Like, you know, and it makes sense. And then as time goes on and you get pulled back into the physical 3d world and you, you know, you start working, you start watching TV, you talk to people with very kind of closed minded perspectives on things. Like for me, like, you know, as much as, you know, again, because I luckily I recorded the experience for me so I can like go into it again and just be reminded of the physical wild nature of it. Like it was just mm-hmm. it was so intense and the intensity yeah. is what is kind of like my trigger back to like, oh, yeah, this was like this was real. Plus, like, I've like you know, I'm best friends with psychics and stuff. So like I've talked to psychics about it. Um, and they're, they'll give me more information. Like they can literally like, tap into my energy and be like, yep. Like, you know, I, I spent new years with psychic, one of my mom's best friends and, you know, I'm moving to Mexico, um, next week actually. Mm-hmm. So it's like a big change is happening. Um, and she told me like all about this phase of my journey. She's like for the next, I forget she said a year or two, but she said like for the next year or two, your whole life is like the universe is, is teaching you how to let go of your mind. You know what I mean? To trust the process mm-hmm. and not, not always have a plan, a structure. Because this is like this is my default way of being is highly organized. Um, mm-hmm. It's just ridiculously organized. I, I go with the flow is terrifying for me because I'm like, I can't control it. Scary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so like and, and the reason why I mention all of this is like I know with me sometimes like I can have such a powerful experience. Then after like six months or something. Like, at least I can start to, like, almost doubt that it happened. You know, you, mm-hmm. you can start to look at it like, oh, like, was it like, because your memory becomes foggier. And because your memory becomes foggier and then, like, you know, pe- like, if you ever tell someone about it who's not open to that kind of thing, they give you their perspective on it. And then that, in some sense, interestingly, I almost look at conversations like, um... I don't mean it in a bad way, but like thought parasites where like literally like you're taking on somebody's embedded idea, like energy is just like it's embedding itself in your consciousness. And so now your consciousness isn't just the fertile ground of yourself. It has other people's plants planted in in your fertile soil of your mind, right? Mm -hmm. You've planted your thoughts, your ideas, your experiences, and your memories are part of that fertile soil too. And in some sense, they put their ideas. And then, you know, if someone challenges you on something, it can be very interesting because then you have someone almost implanting a memory in your soil too. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you know, I think we've all been in that experience where, like, you know, this has happened to me and I know it's happened to other people around me where you'll talk about a memory and and then you're sure that it was your memory. But someone realizes like, oh, I told you that. And you're like, what? Wait, you wait, you're the you're the reason why little bit of this memory's filled in with that information. That was actually you. That wasn't me. And they're like, yeah, yeah I told you that like two years ago. But and then you just realize that in some sense, like. It potentially, I don't know the extent of this, but like potentially like our memories are this collaborative process of our base memory and then all of the times we've told the story and how other people have interpreted the story, how other people have taught like kind of 
mimicked back to you your story in their words. And for some reason, sometimes your brain will almost override part of your memory with their word and their interpretation of your memory. And it, it just becomes really wild. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think this is also why one of the <laughs> I've been working through this a little bit in my own life recently, which relates to some of kind of the patterns of codependency, um, which is not trusting yourself. Mm. And one of the big things that trauma does is it disconnects you from your instinctual nature mm. because the nervous system says, if I trusted myself and it resulted in this trauma, I can't trust myself anymore because I must have gotten myself into this situation. So, you know, one of the first things that happens with trauma is we disconnect from our intuition, our instincts, our ability to trust ourselves. And, you know, that's where many of us end up reaching outside of us for guidance more and more and more, whether it's from external information, the news, social media, even teachers and coaches and mentors, even I've found myself using like psychics. Me too, like can, man. Me too, yeah. bro. Keep going. Like I can trust this psychic more than I trust myself. Yeah. That's all a trauma response. And it's also a response from patterns of codependency of people telling you that your experience is not correct. Yeah. You know, um, so we start doubting ourselves. And there's a difference between questioning yourself and doubting yourself. Hmm. You know, question, questioning yourself is very healthy, like questioning your experience, questioning your belief system. That's more from a place of curiosity. But that's not self-doubt. You know, mm. self-doubt is more from a place of low self-esteem than actually being able to question your belief systems. That takes self-esteem. It takes self-worth to be able to question your belief systems or your biases which is why low self-esteem is what actually creates defensiveness. Defensiveness is the unwillingness to question your own biases, your own dogmas, your own belief systems. Mm. So that connection to the ability to trust yourself, that's you know something that I'm working on in my own life this year is not looking outside of me as much for guidance as I used to. You know, I'm uh. actually even taking like a full, like a full year's fast from like external information. Wow. And it's like really just developing my own inner resources. Um, mm. And it's really returning back to my ability to trust myself. And, you know, one of my teachers um, that I've studied a lot of her work is Caroline Miss. She's, you know, one of the leading ex experts in the kind of world of archetypes. Mm. And one thing she says is like, she's also like a, a medical intuitive, like super tapped in. And she says, look, everyone is psychic. Everyone is psychic. Everyone has psychic abilities, but not everyone has the self-esteem to be able to access them. Oh. And really it's accessing your intuition and your psychic abilities. Number one is based on your ability to trust yourself mm. and not, not doubt what's coming through you. And number two, it's, are you ready for that amount of truth that quickly? Mm. Right. A lot of people really, shut their intuition out because they're not really ready for the truth, you know, cause the truth is inconvenient. Yeah. You know, the truth might be of like, Hey man, you need to move to Mexico. <laughs> Meanwhile, you just like 
you have a house here, you have, you know, you have a look, you have a whole life built up in like this one location. And, yeah. you know, spirit says, yeah, you need to move to Mexico. Well, a lot of people don't want the inconvenience of that guidance. So they'll yeah. block that psychic or intuitive um, part of them out. So I think it's very interesting of like the ability to trust yourself and the ability to surrender to truth, no matter how inconvenient it seems at the time is really kind of like how we break through and kind of be able to access those um, deeper levels of guidance more regularly. Mm. And trust me, I'm not there. I'm still working on it. <laughs> Bro, I, but uh... I'm definitely like aware of, you know, where I've, you know, intentionally blocked myself out, not trusted myself, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every, everything you, you, you just said there, like that hit, that hit. Um, yeah. Me and you seem to be on a, on a very, very similar journey this year. Um, Cause yeah, like, yeah, it's really interesting. Like I've also like, I know, cause I I'm quite, I'm tapping into a lot of psychic abilities right now. Um, and it kind of blows me away. Cause I'm like, where were these my entire life? Where were these when I was five? But then again, I went through a lot of trauma when I was a kid. And so when you said trauma has you detached from your intuition yourself and it externalizes your decision-making process and your trust process, like, my God, that's true, man. Um, yeah, I had no access to my own source of truth growing up, like a zero, none. And I, I still find myself, yeah, going to psychics. That's my biggest crutch. I go to psychics a lot. <laughs> like, again, new, new, like, so what happened was, so I'm asking my soul, because, like, I, I followed what Paul Check teaches about talking to your soul. So I do that every morning. And so, because I, again, because I fundamentally don't trust myself, I need to trust a process. Because in some sense, the process is external from you. So, my process is I need to know where I'm going to be living in three months. When I finish my vacation, I need to know where I'm going to be living because I have podcasts scheduled starting March 1st. Okay. So, I need to know what time zone I'm in. I need to know where I'm going to be. I need to know if I'm going to have internet. And this is fundamentally all me not trusting myself because if I trust myself, I can just talk to my soul every day. What do I need to do today? Where do I need to be today? And trust that I will end up where I need to be and doing what I need to do. And that I'll have internet if I need to have internet that day. Um, but again, I'm just, I wanted to know, okay, this week, where am I going to be? Puerto Vallarta? Okay, next week, Cancun? Like, I want to know week by week where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing. And what happened is every morning I would talk to my soul. And my soul won't give me any fucking information outside of one week when I land. So I have a month and a half trip and I might be in Mexico for six months. I don't know. Um, could be the end of my life. Like for, I could be end up making that my home base. I don't know. But I know I'm starting in Morelia. It won't give me any information after that. And so I spent, bro, I spent like half of New Year's with a psychic, like, well, can I know this? Uh, am I bringing my recording equipment? Um, should I like schedule things in specific time? Like, should, like all of these things. And Diane would repeatedly just go, Anton, this whole process about you learning to trust yourself. Like, you can't go to me for this. I, think, I get it. I get it. 
but like, can I bring my recording? <laughs> just, I'm just like, I'd get an answer. I'd be like, hey, yeah, I get that. I get that. And then I'd just like, I like, it was just, it was my anxiety. It was like, I don't want to be homeless. My number yeah. one fear is my, my two fears. I don't want to be homeless and I don't want to let everyone down because I have a fear that if I don't give people consistent content, they will, they will realize that I'm not consistent I'm not trustworthy and they'll all leave and they will no longer um, support me or be part of my community. So I, again, abandonment issues. That's abandonment 101 because I was abandoned in high school. My, you know, a feeling of abandonment from my father because abusive household, that kind of thing. Right. So it's like, there's this feeling of just abandonment at every level. Then I was had, I lost my best friend in my second year of university because I fucked it up. Like I, I was fundamentally the one that screwed up that relationship, but it was my best friend. Like we did everything together. It was also totally a codependent relationship, but you know, it's still like I lost, I lost my second half. Right. So again, high, like again, growing up dad, you know, abusive, never felt like I could trust dad. Um, have my best friend in high school. They all leave me in the first week of grade nine. Again, I know it was fundamentally my fault. Um, I was a bit judgmental. A lot of them were getting into cannabis and weed and I was straight edge. And so I would judge, I would, without really saying much, I would judge them for it. And I know that that pushed them away. And then when it came to my, my roommate Ryan in my second year, I took for granted all of the things he helped around the house with. Right. I was kind of a bit of a, a slob. I didn't really take care of myself very much. And so when I look back, those fundamental relationships, my father, I'm not sure. I probably played some sort in that when I was really young, just energetically, karmically, you know, meant to create something. But high school and university were both my fault fundamentally. Like when I look back, I'm like, yeah, I was kind of, it was a really weird thing where I thought they left me, but really I pushed them away. I, I created this circumstance that would force them to be like, fuck this guy, essentially, right? And so I had these like core abandonment challenges. Um, and yeah, and so that is my number one fear with my community is they'll abandon me as soon as times get tough because that's it. As soon as times get tough, people abandon me. That's my story. And in some sense, it's like beyond a story. Like as you probably know, like trauma has like a physical embedding. You know, there's there's a physical aspect to it as well. The story is what we we crystallize it into being with our story in some sense. We like we immortalize it the story immortalizes it it doesn't allow the trauma to release out of our system um at least from my perspective um right now so it's like those two things so it's like i fundamentally don't trust myself because if i like and, and also i've been really frustrated learning how to talk to my soul because there's been a lot of times where again i i will feel like i'm being withheld an answer and my understanding is again i don't trust the universe so, or at least this is so like my, my, the nature of the way I'm acting and feeling would signify that I don't trust the universe because I'm, I'm like, I need the answer now. I need the answer to this question. I can't move forward in my life without this answer and the universe is withholding it. And I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Like what the hell am I doing wrong? Is my ego getting in the way? Am I unable to read the energy fluctuations in my body? Um, and so it's, it's highly stressful, especially when I'm planning this move to Mexico and my whole life is being upended, up, upended, right? 
So it's this interesting thing where, and then this is really interesting too, man. Um, so I had a support system in some sense. So I have somebody who, who lives in Mexico who invited me to stay with her for three weeks. Right. She also said, reach out to my son. Um, I, he'd love to talk to you and, and come on your podcast. Here's his Instagram. Here's his email. So these people literally invited me to like stay with them. Right. The moment I figure out I'm, I'm moving to Mexico. This was like a month ago. I send both of them a message ghosted. I still haven't received an, an email back, a message back. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Um, and then my friend, uh, uh, another friend, I'm not going to say the name just in case, uh, cause I, I don't want to create any bad blood or whatever. Um, but he's one of my closest friends and it's not even a bad thing, but we've been kind of, um, there's been a feeling like a rift created between us um, just because lives are busy. My life is busy. His life is busy. Right. And I know that, but it's like, again, it, it, when I just objectively look at my life right now, I'm essentially watching as I commit to a new life. The number one theme of this new chapter of my life is learn to trust the universe and fundamentally learn to trust yourself because you are part of the universe. Don't rely on organization. Don't rely on logic. Don't rely on comfort and support systems. And so don't rely on organization. So when I'm asking my soul to know the end result of this trip and of this experience, it won't give me it. It'll only give me the first step on the journey. Then all of the people that I could rely on because this person is literally going to let me stay with her. She invited me to stay with her for three weeks in Mexico. That's comfort. That's I know where I'm going to be at this week, right? For three weeks. I know I'm, where I'm going to be. Again, that's a crutch. Um, and then if I was to reach out to her son, I'd be able to collect the information there through her son. So both of them, like, we're getting super woo-woo here, man. But I literally feel like the universe has put, like, like almost like um, is disconnected the cell phones between us. It's like, I, I'm, I, I'm guessing she's going to come back to me after I needed her. So essentially, once it's past the, 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 the time in our stay where I was going to stay with her, then she's probably going to be like, oh, hey, Anton, for whatever reason, I missed this email. I didn't, I didn't get this. Like, I, I, bro, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. And then her son's probably going to fucking message me like within a day of that. and be like, hey, bro, dude, thanks for reaching out. I, I, for whatever reason, I didn't see this. And then like, I just have this feeling like this whole process is about like shattering all my support systems. And then the psychics I'd usually go to, I'm getting like a message, like don't reach out to to your psychic friends. And, and then when I did ask Diane, pretty much it was always, you can't know that yet. You can't know that yet. You're not supposed to know that yet. So it's just like, it's this wild thing where I think I'm rewriting that trauma from my, from my past, uh, that fundamental trauma of like, essentially, yeah. Cause you know, my relationship growing up was with a parent who said, you're not entitled to your experience. You know, this is what you should believe about it. This is what happened. Um, you're not, you're not entitled to living your life the way you want. You are going to be working a corporate job. You are going to do this. You're going to do that. So it was very like kind of helicopter, um, parenting in some, some degree. Right. So I feel like for whatever reason, as you said, like just the universe is like stepping in and holding things back from me. And it'll be really interesting again. I love the esoteric stuff because I love talking to people who are a fundamental part of your journey and ask them what was going on through your head 
when you weren't responding to me or what was what was going on in your life when you didn't have the opportunity to respond to me when I my ego thought I needed you because it's not my higher self thought I needed you my ego thought I needed you so it's interesting to see like because you know from my perspective and from everything I've, I've learned in my life the universe sets up synchronicities when you're ready for them and when you need to have them right and so for example like I'm sure me and you have been synchronistically attracted to each other because again like I don't know what's going to happen with you and Katarina I don't know if you guys are going to work together maybe you're not who knows there's no expectations but just the simple fact that like she saw the podcast that we did and she loved it and she loved you and she's like hey can you reach out to Greg for me like right there like that was some level of a bridge right and so I'm always curious to talk to people who are setting something up for me in my life or setting something up for them what was going through my head and what was the synchronicity catalyst in my consciousness when I was helping somebody with something that was fundamental to their life path? And then vice versa, when I talked to my friend Joseph and when I look back, he was the catalyst for my entire life opening up. It'd be interesting to talk to Joseph. Hey man, remember when you did that one thing that opened up my entire life? What was going through your head? Like, what was this random stimulus response catalyst that made you want to reach out to me? Made you want to say something specific to me? You know what I mean? And so, like, when you're talking about, yeah, like, you're over-relying on psychics, over-relying on external things to give you a false sense of security, like, your life's not going to fall apart because you fundamentally, I'm speaking to myself, that I fundamentally don't trust in my ability to survive without these external things supporting me. It's like, I always need the, the world to support me. So there's not really too much of a question in that. <laughs> but like, I was just, you know, just, yeah, everything you said, man, it just like, it hit. And I was like, fuck, I literally, this, both of us are on the same journey this year of learning to trust ourselves, you know? Yeah. <laughs> a couple of things that was coming up for me is, Number one, we can start a recovery program called Psychics Anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Which I think would be great. Um, <laughs> the second is I remember I remember Paul recommending a book to me called The Fourfold Way. Fourfold Path? Fourfold Way, I think. And it was by this shaman, and she was like an anthropologist, Angelis Arian. Yeah. And... Um, she writes about the the four core addictions that humanity struggles with. And the four addictions are intensity, perfectionism, needing to know, mm. and the fixation on what's wrong or what's not working. Um, yeah. So that, you know, I, I've struggled with all four of those, but that needing to know is actually one of the biggest addictions mm. that, you know, we all struggle with. And I think, the less and less we trust life over time as a result of trauma, the more and more we need to know and get, kind of get hooked on that addiction. Um, and all addictions are an, an attempt at seeking a sense of safety and a sense of security. Mm. And um, I think that's, you know, a very subtle addiction that many of us have. And, you know, in terms of the abandonment, it's, you know, a big thing I've, experienced in my own life which you know i think i think life or the universe or whatever 
word you want to use will always mirror back to us in our relationships with other people, an aspect of our relationship with ourself. So, you know, whether it's someone abandoned us as a child and we haven't healed that wound and something that, you know, happens after a wound like that is we start abandoning ourselves. You know, we continuously abandon ourselves as a way of trying to not be abandoned by others again. You know, like for me, it's been like, instead of being myself, it's who does this person want me to be? Uh, bro. Right? There, man. So that's, that's me abandoning myself out of the fear of if I'm my authentic self, what if they abandon me? So let me try and figure out who they want me to be. I'll kind of shape shift into that. And there's a less of a chance that they'll abandon me. But I think a lot of times when we're being ghosted or people are not um, answering us or we're, you know, we're feeling like there's another abandonment, it's because we haven't healed that wound in ourselves of the ways in which we're continuously abandoning ourselves. Mm. And it could be in subtle things. It could be like you know, the people pleaser in us that says yes to something that we want to say no to, or, mm. you know, any number of just even like day-to-day -day stuff that, that shows up. And, you know, that's another thing that I've set an intention for in this new year is to really be crystal clear what's a yes and what's a no, mm. and make sure that when I say yes to another person, I'm not saying no to myself because mm. that is a form of abandonment um because there's the wound of abandonment is in there anytime we say no anytime we say yes to someone but we really wanted to say no a lot of times we're saying yes because we're afraid that if i say no to them they might abandon us if mm. we need them in the future yeah you know so it's always a mirror you know relationships mm. are always mirroring back to us parts of ourselves Hmm. So, I know there wasn't a question in there. But... <laughs> it's, it's okay, man. Bro, we're we're just sharing, man. Wow. Which is all very codependent. <laughs> what 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 is codependent? Well, I don't think codependence. I think we demonize codependency, which true. Codependency started when you were in the womb, you know, when you were in the womb and when you were a baby and a child, you were totally dependent on mom, on dad, on whoever your caretakers were. So the pattern of codependency, first of all, is a very natural stage of development. Mm. It's a natural stage of creating attachments with parent child, for example. And eventually, obviously, we want to move, move through those stages into more of a sense of independency and then interdependency. But, you know, where we get stuck is as a child, when we're in the child archetype, we're completely powerless. We're kind of helpless. Like we're dependent on someone else for our own survival. So mom, dad, or whoever is our lifeline. So what the child says is, 
you know, the child says, who do I have to be to get my needs met with this person? Mm -hmm. Because the child doesn't have an internal sense of self yet. The child's sense of self is very externalized. It's based on the feedback it gets from others. And theta brainwaves. Yeah. So the, the child's in that theta state is very open and says, and, and has a hard time differentiating self from other. So mm. it sees mom as happy and the child thinks mom is happy with me. Then mom oh. is upset and the child says mom is upset with me. So the child develops its sense of self based on mom or dad's experience of itself. So the child then says, okay, who do I have to be and what do I have to do to get my needs met to make sure I still have food on the table, a roof over my head and a bed to sleep in. Right. Mm. So that's where, especially if you're an empathic, energetically sensitive being, your sense of self is still enmeshed in other people's experience of you. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's one of the biggest patterns that I'm working on healing in myself, even to this day, is where I still derive a sense of self based in someone else's experience of me. And if I'm still enmeshed with that, it leads to constant people-pleasing, approval-seeking, and self-sabotage. Mm. So, yeah. you know, one thing I've been exploring is, you know, can I be true to myself, which might result in someone else being disappointed in me or someone else being upset with me or triggered by me? And can I still feel really good about myself? Can I be in the can I be in the experience of someone else being disappointed in me and me not translate that into I'm now disappointed in myself? Mm. Yeah. And that's the only way that you can actually hold space for someone is if you no longer derive your sense of self from their experience of you because you can't hold space for someone else's disappointment if you still see your sense of self in that. This is why, like Matt Kahn says, in order to truly hold space for another person, you have to take yourself out of their narrative. Mm. Because if you're still enmeshed with their narrative, if your sense of self is still enmeshed with their narrative and their story, then you can't actually hold space for them because you have to defend a part of yourself. Yeah. Right. You have to close a part of you off from any sort of like compassion or inquiry. Yeah. Right. It, it makes me think of friendships. Like mm -hmm. are, are friendships actually like the most socially acceptable form of codependency that we all get brought in without knowing and, and something i want to i want to jump back to is um when we said we're just sharing and then you said something like that's codependency or what did he mean by that can you say that again so i i shared my mexico thing and then you shared something and then you're just like there's not really a question in this and i said that's okay we're just sharing and then you made a comment after there was a pause and then you and then you went you said something along the lines of and and that's codependency codependency and this is what brought us right into this 
But what I'm curious if you saw something that was codependent in sharing. Oh, no. No, no, there was just some element of what we were talking about in terms of like the unhealed trauma and the deriving your sense of self based in someone else's experience of us. That that was kind of like the the starting point of the codependency. Oh, I thought I thought you said that we were locked in a codependent relationship in this podcast as we oh, were no. sharing because <laughs> because no. I was like, bro, did he just see like the fucking 40 chessboard and he's like actually we're being codependent right now um yeah, and, and this, is, this is actually a question maybe like well the the reason why i brought up the friendship thing mm-hmm. was i was like you know one of the fun it seems like one of the most fundamental things we all get caught up in codependently is friendships mm. because we're all invested in how our friends think of us in some sense that's why we're friends we rely on each other and we want to show up with each other. We want to be loved by each other and we want to love each other. It's like almost like with a friend, we're, re- we're recreating a friend, uh, a relationship with like our mother or our father, whoever we had like a, a good relationship with. Cause I think like for me, it was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing where it was like, you know, dad was difficult. Mom was martyr savior friend and so essentially to survive that household me and my mom got really close um Mm -hmm. very very close and then now most of my friendships mimic my relationship with my mom growing up in some sense where we're very Mm -hmm. almost symbiotic where we help Mm -hmm. each other deeply where you know something's going on we will share really deep stuff and and hold space for each other and then when you talked about holding space, you need to be outside of their narrative. Maybe I never hold space because in some sense, I'm always invested in the narrative of my friends. Um, yeah, what's your perspective on, on friendships in the possibility of a codependent lens? Well, I think there's like a spectrum and I don't think it's healthy to go to the extreme of just like, just not giving a shit at all, like what anyone thinks of you. And you're just like, you can like become, you know, sociopathic and narcissistic. And, you know, I I don't think that's like to have no awareness of like someone else's experience of you also means like you don't know how to tailor yourself at all in a form of mindfulness to how someone might receive something that you have to say. So if we don't have any aspect of that attachment or um, I don't want to say codependency, but sensitivity, mm. then you there's there's a lack of empathy, right? So I, I think that results in, you know, like take someone with autism. Mm. Someone with autism um, really doesn't have much access to empathy. Really? Right there, they do. When I say that, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like, they don't really have access to like social cues or how someone might be receiving what you have to say. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of the dynamics of relationship that an autistic person might struggle with. You know, my, my girlfriend's daughter has special needs. She's not autistic, but I've been around a lot of her special needs friends who have autism. 
And a lot of times they'll say something that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she just said that. <laughs> like, so there's a lack of like an awareness of how something might be received by the other. Mm. Right. So that's the one end of the spectrum. But the other end of the spectrum is where your sense of self is so enmeshed in someone else's experience of you that you disempower yourself or you abandon yourself or you um, don't speak your truth because maybe you're so afraid that it might trigger, disappoint or upset somebody that you compromise yourself over and over again. That would be the other extreme, you know? So I think yeah. there's a nice, there's a nice middle grounds. Um, and I think that's probably where we're aiming for in relationship, but, you know, especially an in intimate relationship, that's where all of this stuff comes up to the surface. And yeah. it's where we might, you know, take things, you know, the most personally or things like that. And, you know, I remember recently in my intimate relationship, my, partner was, you know, sharing something that I said or did in the past that really triggered a lot of her pain and a lot of her wounds. And, um, and those were like old pains and old wounds that were there well before the introduction of me into her life. Yeah. So, you know, in the past I would have gotten very like defensive that like, you know, I didn't cause that pain or I didn't like, you know, so it could have created guilt. It could have created shame. It could have created defensiveness inside of me. But it was one of the first moments of my life where I was listening to her sharing. And she was kind of basically sharing with me how something I said or did created pain inside of her. Mm. And obviously, our initial ego reaction is either guilt, shame, or defensiveness. But I was able to see how that pain was a part of her journey well before the introduction of me. And something I said or did may have brought that up inside of her, but I wasn't necessarily the cause of it. So as soon as I took myself out of her narrative, I was able to actually hold space for her, even though she was kind of calling me out on something, <laughs> right? I was able to actually have true empathy and hold space and not go into guilt, shame, or defensiveness because I took myself out of the narrative knowing that this is more an aspect of her journey and her own healing process than anything I may have done wrong. And that's one of the big things. And I think the healing of codependency, which I'm far from having healed it, it's something that I'm still kind of making the fire walk doing in the middle of, which is just because someone is experiencing pain, disappointment, is upset or unmet expectations, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Mm. You know, as a child, we're conditioned to believe that if I say or do something and someone else is either disappointed, triggered, or upset with us, it must mean that what I said or did is wrong in some way. Yeah, because they're gods. Right? So that's one of the biggest patterns that we have to break within ourselves is that conclusion that we draw <sighs> or that yeah. internal narrative that we create. <sighs> yeah which I do all the time. <laughs> Me too, man. Wow. Yeah, I was also thinking um, codependency in symbiotic relationships happen with different kinds of people in my life. Because I was going to say, like, I just had a podcast with somebody else on Monday 
strong personality, alpha, like very, very alpha, very like, you know, my way or the highway. Good guy, you know, high integrity, really good guy, but just like strong, strong energy, right? And what was interesting about that one is I was very like, it's opposite, I think, to most people where with that one, I could easily maintain my center. I could easily maintain an emotional distance. Um, I could hold space for him, even if he was kind of calling me out or saying this. It's probably because I like, that's not the kind of person I would mesh with where like, for example, I was thinking when you were talking, I was like, you would be someone or I would be the most codependent with because you feel very safe to me. And I feel like there would be almost like, I don't know if you remind me of my mom. I don't know. Like there's, there's a safety to your energy and I can almost feel this energy, like almost like a Disney movie, like the, the, the wicked witch who like, like, come like, he's like, oh, I love you. Like come over here. And then like they bake you in their oven. I almost feel like I'm not saying you would ever do that, but I, I almost feel like, like, your energy is like, it's, it's something that like symbiotically with me, like calls me for, it's like, Hey, you know, share, you know, it's, it's okay. And it's like, I can almost feel this like soft invitation to share more and to get to almost attach our lives together are like, you know, almost like this, like bonding mechanism is, is forming. And I was like, I could definitely see if I was totally unconscious, you know, Again, like a friendship forming with you that would be more symbiotic or codependent than like I would in some weird way care more about your opinion of me than the strong alpha guy. Like in some weird ways like that I don't really care about. Like I'm like, okay, you know, yeah, I don't care about that perception, but someone as open and soft or vulnerable as you it maybe it's literally because like again it's like what you just said about intimacy is like why do our partners hurt us so easily it's because like we feel safe enough to open our hearts up and take the walls down and i think what i'm actually feeling is like you know you have a very calm center where like just in this conversation with you like i'm kind of i can almost feel like my walls going down a bit my my heart opening up and being more vulnerable with you than I would with other guests on my podcast, or at least the manner in which I share is slightly different with you. Sometimes I can be vulnerable with other guests, but if the guest is very alpha and strong, I will share vulnerably, but with an element of power as a way of pr- protecting myself truly. I will say the thing that I'm vulnerable of, but not actually be vulnerable energetically in the moment. I'm stating it with power. Where with you, it's like there's a safety feeling, a safety field where I'm like more vulnerable and I'm like, yeah, I could see people like not just you, but anybody that has like kind of our, our archetypal enmeshments, I could feel like that is like, yeah, it's like the, the brotherhood element of a relation of an intimate relationship where like you usually would have that with a a sexual partner, but sometimes Mm -hmm. you can have that just with like a brotherhood, someone who you feel kind of comfortable with. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, One of the reasons that is very often the case, you know, I love Ram Dass's work. Yeah, me too. You know, so, you know, Ram Dass's like classic teaching is becoming nobody. 
right? He's got the documentary, the book, like Becoming Nobody. And if you really understand what that means, Becoming Nobody is really the ability to empty yourself, right? Like Ramdas used to talk about his guru Maharaji, how there was this being there, but it was almost like there was no one in there. Yeah. Right. And when you empty yourself, you essentially become this container that holds space for someone else to come into you. Right. So for me, like, for example, I spend a lot of time in meditation emptying myself. And the more I empty myself, the more space there is inside of me to bring another in. So if you have like this alpha male person on your podcast and you notice this part of you that's like, yeah, it doesn't feel as safe fully kind of opening up and engaging. It's because the alpha male, there's more of a somebody in there, right? There's more square footage that he's taking up inside of him where there's not as much space for him to bring someone else into him. It's very much if you think about like, Mm. You know, the, the male and the female, the female has the vagina, which is the empty cavity that receives the male. Mm. Right. So the female is the emptiness and the male is the um, the one that fills the empty space. Mm. Right. So when I'm in my feminine, I'm emptying myself and becoming essentially a hollow container to be filled with someone else that I can make room for. But the alpha male doesn't have the space inside of them yet for that receiving act to happen. Hmm. From your perspective, then, I know we're talking about someone who's dead. Um, and I love Ramdas. Do you think that the fundamental work of Ramdas was teaching uh, the feminine polarity then? Um. On some level, yes. But, you know, what he was really teaching is the letting go of the models of where you create identity from. You know, like the masculine is like, this is me. You know, mm. I'm a lawyer. I'm an attorney. I'm a teacher. I'm a father. I'm this. I'm that. And it's like, yeah, that's like what Ramdas calls like your somebodyness, <laughs> like your attachment to this idea of who you think you are. But if you changed your career, you would still be you. If you changed all of these ways in which you identified yourself as you're still you. So that you that you are behind all of those roles or archetypes is like what Ramdas calls like nobody training, which is just more of like an awareness more of an emptiness and you know the work is really to get back to that part of you that is empty that is just more awareness than attached to some role or identity that you're playing in society you know like something that i think creates a lot of stress for people is you know when they attach their sense of self to something outside of them like for example people will say i'm a republican yeah it's like, well, now you have to defend your sense of identity against anything that's non-Republican. We know how that or, goes. <laughs> I'm, I'm Jewish. 
now you have to defend your sense of self against all other religions. Or I'm a vegan. Now you derive your sense of self based on your dietary choices. So anyone that's a carnivore is a threat to your sense of self. Spiritual. I fall into that. I, I defend myself against atheists. Yeah, because I consider myself spiritual. Go on though. Right. So, you know, what I invite people to say instead of I am Jewish is I practice Judaism. Mm. You know, or instead of saying I am a vegan, say I eat a vegan diet. So now you're creating some space between yourself and the vehicle or the practice you use to navigate life. Huh. And just that little bit of space is really important because just like people pleasing and approval seeking is a way that we give energy and power away. Righteousness and defensiveness is another area that we give energy and power away. Mm. You know, so a lot of, you know, a lot of the healing process is reclaiming the energy and the power that we've given away by trying to hold on to some version of ourselves that is really an illusion. Mm. You know, I'm a vegan. That's, that's an illusion. Like that's not who you are. Like if you ate a steak, you'd still be you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a Christian. Well, if you became a Buddhist, you'd still be you. Just the vehicle that you're using or the practice that you're applying might be different. So, mm. you know, it's really all conflict in the world is really a crisis of who we think we are. Yeah. That's where Ramdas's teachings really come from. Mm. Yeah. It seems so simple when you say it like that. And it's like, it, it's, it comes across so simple, but like, it's so... We're so attached to those identities. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's so simple to say we're attached to our identity, but it's, it, you know, like, it, again, it, it's one of these things like, is it simple to drop all of your identities? Technically? Yes. It's just a choice. Like in one second, you could just drop everything. Um, but it's like, then the other, the other end of things, like there's a momentum to the energy like it's like the energy of the universe has a momentum and the energy of your consciousness has a momentum in some sense. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe moment that that idea is just a crutch for holding on to an identity longer than you need to. Um Wow, and, and I guess it's just a practice. Like every day, just you know, in a prayer or a meditation, just say like I I am I I everything you just said, like I don't have I, I am nothing, but not from a place of unworthiness, but more from a place of, or like I can be anything. I can, I can be everything. I can be anything. Um, mm. that's something well, I'm going to also go ahead. Go ahead sorry. I was going to say, this is something I'm going to practice in my own life because, you know, I, I'm a dreamer. I love entertainment. I love escapism. I don't even want to call it escapism because it makes it seem like you are trying to escape something. I love creativity. I love, you know, I've been getting into um, these ideas of Lucifer, Ariman, 
in Christ. I just listened to the Charvin Jaferia podcast, with Paul Check, when they talk about it. And I found it fascinating that Lucifer isn't a negative energy. It's a tool. It's an archetypal energy and it can be used in the positive or the negative. And like the Luciferian, like we all have the Luciferian archetypal energy, or at least if I understand Paul correctly and my own experience with it, it would make sense that we all have the Luciferian energy within us. We all have an harmonic energy within us because the Luciferian energy within me is my dreaming nature, is my creativity, is the artist, is the musician, is the that's Lucifer. Like Lucifer is the dreamer. Lu Lucifer is the illusion. And everything outside of the present moment and the physical nature of reality in the moment is, I guess, in some sense, Luciferian. Um, Christ is the Christ is the consciousness behind the illusion. Um, and then Araman is the materialism in front, like in front of the consciousness in some sense. And so like, and where I'm getting at with this is like with this Luciferian part, like I, from that standpoint, I'm very Luciferian, you know, from that way of looking at it archetypally, I'm very Luciferian. I love dreaming. I love creativity. I love art. I love music. I love all of these things that don't exist yet. And I love bringing them into the world. In some sense, that would be the Luciferian in the positive. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of that is I love role playing. I, I love being a cowboy. I love being myself or who I think I am. Like I love this person that has, you know, that I've kind of clinged on to as me. Um, and everything you just said is like, you know, even when I moved to Mexico, it'd be cool to have like a blank slate and just be like, who do I, who do I want to act as in this country? And, and even beyond that kind of what I'm getting from you is not even who to like, who do I want to replace my identity? How about choose it? Like you can, you have the freedom to choose who you want to be in any moment. Do you want to be like a cowboy one moment, like a gangster the next, or at least just in that energy signature? Um, so I found that very cool that you just shared that. Yeah. You know, one of my teachers recently once asked me this question, where are you rebelling against your true nature? What is my true nature? And for me, I reclaim my true nature by going back to my childhood. Mm. And I remember, like I shared when we started the podcast, being that child who's very quiet, who is very silent and didn't really say a whole lot. And for our culture, that could be very uncomfortable to be around. Yeah. So I remember... Number one, like being bullied and made fun of by like kids in school, even like parents. And I remember like always being in the car with either my parent or someone else that was driving me. And I was just like looking out the window, like not saying anything and just like really, really quiet. And the question would always be, Greg, what's wrong? So after hearing this question over and over again, Greg, what's wrong? Greg, what's wrong? Greg, what's wrong? I started to develop this belief system that my true nature or my natural state of being is wrong, mm. which was just quiet, silent, observant, you know, um, just present. And so I tried to become other than that. You know, I tried many different personas, but, you know, like Alan Watts talks about the word persona means mask. 
right? So personality coming from the word persona means the masks that we wear. Wow, personality, persona. Yeah, so I tried many different masks to see what would fit and what would allow me to feel a sense of belonging, connection to fit in. And eventually, you know, that kept me safe for a period of time. That brought me a level of safety of like, okay, I'm going to wear this mask. It's not really who I am, but I feel acknowledged. I feel seen. I feel heard. And I feel a sense of belonging. So it feels safe. But eventually we get to this point, and this is usually where we hit a health or healing crisis, which is the pattern that once kept you safe eventually holds you back from being free. Mm. And yeah. If we hold on to the model of safety at the expense of our freedom, it creates more and more pain in our life. You know, it might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be a physical illness, till eventually we let go of that old model of safety and what kept us secure and alive for however long it did. And we really give ourselves full permission to experience freedom, which for me is right now giving myself full permission to return back to that natural state like can i sit at the dinner table and be present with my partner or my family and not have to say anything mm. not actually have to use words not actually have to express anything but just can i just be there and know that just being there and being present is enough you know and what i came to realize is anyone who asked me what's wrong or anyone that had a hard time with my silent nature, I was really witnessing an ego in its unraveling process. And the ego has a really hard time with silence. That's why a lot of people have a hard time with meditation is because in silence, the ego doesn't have anything to attach to. And also silence is a deeper state of intimacy. You know, words are usually what we, used to avoid intimacy. This is why, you know, when, when two shamans meet for the first time, they'll sit together for hours, but no one will say a word. Really? Yeah. It might be, you know, I've talked to shamans who have had meetings with other healers and they've sat together for four to six hours and never said anything. And then they get up and leave. And that was their whole, you know, <laughs> But a, a lot happens there, you know, but it just wasn't telepathically, energetically, just an acknowledgement, you know, an acknowledgement of each other's presence and acknowledgements of each other's being. And words didn't have to be used to fill the space with anything more than that. Right. So it's more of an acknowledgement of the soul than mm. a connection of two egos coming together. Right. So realizing that I was in the presence of more egos unraveling because my silence was really a space that their ego had nothing to engage with. Mm. It was kind of like their ego was saying like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But their soul was saying, thank you. Right. Mm. Thank you for acknowledging the truth of me while well, my ego is judging you for being so quiet and so socially awkward and mm. etc. You know, yeah. so that's, that's something that for me, 
I see how much I've rebelled against my true nature or abandoned myself by trying yeah. to put on various masks and, you know, my my work right now is to really give myself full permission to return back to my original nature. You know, I think that's what all of us are actually longing for. Mm. Um, and sometimes even that's what loneliness really is. Loneliness is not the absence of someone else. It's the disconnection from our original nature. Hmm. So we have 10 more minutes till one thirty my time. Um, I know you have cool. a, you have a appointment. There's a couple things I wanted to, to ask. Um, sure. cause it's, it's interesting. Um, so from what you just shared, what I, what I got from that mm-hmm. is we have a true nature because you know, right before that, my, what I was kind of on a journey with thinking in the moment was this idea that maybe we don't have a nature and maybe in any moment we get to choose who we are. And, and who knows, maybe these are not mutually exclusive. Um, and then you said, from what I gathered, our true nature is kind of who we are at birth. Now that would be more in line with numerology, astrology, and anything that says we have a base kind of archetype. So first of all, I find that interesting. Um, that was always kind of my understanding of things. Because, and, and, and here's a quick question. Um, just, you don't have to go into it too much. Do you think who you are on this podcast in this moment is your true nature? Yes and no. I would say yes in the sense that my presence is here right? I'm listening, I'm witnessing, I'm observing. And I'm also playing a role, Mm. right? You're playing a role as the podcaster, I'm playing a role as the guest. Yeah. So is my true nature a guest? And is your true nature a podcaster? No, because we could totally flip flop. And let's say I had a podcast, which I don't, you could be the guest and now I'm the podcaster. Yeah. So those are still masks that we're wearing that we could trade any given time. But behind that, there is an original nature that is always present. So it's kind of like yes and no. Mm. We have the original nature. And then we also play the game of life, which takes us into different roles that we get to choose at any given moment. Mm. And then another question I was thinking is... Um, like when I was a kid, like from what my mom tells me, very curious, quite energetic. I I like to move a lot. Very curious. I'd I'd ask a million questions. I've always been a question asker. Um, I also, I've always loved to share that like as, as much as I'm curious about the universe and the world, I equally love to share my own passion because I'm an incredibly passionate person. Just like I just, I love sharing. I love just, I love both. I love, again, my, uh, why I like, like I'm very, you know, I'm not Aubrey Marcus, but it's like him and Joe Rogan are kind of what I modeled my podcast after as they were some of the first people it seemed like on the market that were more conversationalists rather than interviewers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's me. I was like, that, that was just like me. And, 
in some sense, I was, when you were talking about that, I was thinking, I'm like, who I am right now in this conversation, am I molding my behavior off of you? Because in some sense, I'm calm. I'm very calm right now. Very, I'm in my thoughtful, philosophical nature, which also at the same time is one of my fr- fundamental natures too, because the philosopher is one of my fundamental archetypes. Mm-hmm. I'm a really weird balance of archetypes in that I'm equally as philosophical as I am passionate. Mm-hmm. And it kind of puts me in these two directions, but they are really conjoined. Um, and I was curious, like, you know, if we really were fully ourselves in a podcast, like you and I, I was like, would that even, like, would that even work? Because if, if you were very quiet and just observant, like, wouldn't I be talking the entire time? <laughs> like, cause again, I would be the passionate, curious, sharing guy who would talk energetically a lot and then ask you a question like like it is in my nature i i i want the other person to come for like i don't necessarily know if i want them to come forward i want to connect that was also always part of my nature connection as much as i have this forward energy projection like not projection like a mask but my energy is like it, it's it can be strong um, I think I even apologized to you when I met you because I thought maybe I was too too much. And I was like, when you were speaking about all that, I was like, am I in my true nature right now in this podcast? And I think I half am. I think I m- have minimized in my conversations with you specifically because you're so calm. I think I minimize my passionate nature. I think I mm. kind of annex that a bit and then leave the equal part of my nature that is real but all that's left is the quiet, introspective philosopher that mm. seeks connection. You know what I mean? Are you afraid I couldn't handle it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll push you away. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm afraid you'll be like, it's almost, you know, I think what I was getting at before when I shared with you as well is that about the opening self up? Like, I feel like I like you a lot, but I'm also scared of my friendship with you because it almost feels too vulnerable. And something that will climb in my mind is it like, are we, are our personalities compatible? You know, mm. if we did become true friends, like, is he too quiet for me? And am I too expressive for him? And it hurts me and it almost makes me tear up a bit because mm. how, like, I really love you. And it's like, it's almost like loving somebody and like thinking, and maybe it's just the fearful part of you is like at the same time fearing, is this destined to fail because we are just incompatible, even though I have this love for this person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And, um, you know, I've had that those dynamics in relationships before where I might be in relationship with someone that's like super expressive and always sharing, sharing, sharing. And I've been someone who's always like processed things more internally yeah, and has kind of like been the space to receive, but not necessarily the one that's really like 
sharing as much. And, you know, my partner recently just shared with me just like how vulnerable that can be for her because sometimes it might feel like, you know, what if he has like this whole private life that I don't even know about, (laughs) you know, or like, what if, you know, there's, there's so much to him that I don't know that he just doesn't share, Mm. you know? So, you know, part of my work within myself is to explore like, well, what are my fears around sharing? Mm. You know, my fears are probably the same as your fears, which are that we're going to be too much for one another. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so you realize that where you're coming from and where I'm coming from is exactly the same wound, which is the fear of being too much. And if I'm too much, what if I get abandoned? Yeah. You know, so there's kind of like the hesitation of like oversharing, mm. you know, I might go to one extreme and, and so forth. So yeah, I, I definitely could see that. And, you know, one of the reasons I really appreciate you sharing that is because it's an opportunity for me to look at, you know, there is a light side for me being the person that people feel safe around to share but, and to be the quiet, silent presence, but there's also the shadow side, which is, am I really afraid of bringing my full self to the table? Hmm. You know, so that's something that I have to work with within myself. And, um, and also I think the, the question of like, am I being my original nature, my authentic self or not? One of the ways we can answer that is we can assess in any given situation, the version of us that we're being, does it feel stressful or draining in any way? If it feels stressful or draining of our energy, like it depletes us, that's usually us not being our authentic self. Usually Mm -hmm. when we're in our authenticity, it feels energizing and it feels calm. You know, so I know for me, like the times that I've had social anxiety or felt depleted after an engagement with someone or um, felt overwhelmed in some way, it's because I was being other than my natural self. You know, Mm. I was trying to adopt a version of me that I thought would fit that situation, but it wasn't my true nature. Mm. So I think if it shifts us into a stress response, or it depletes our energy. It's usually a easy sign for us that it means we kind of stepped out of alignment with that. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I definitely, I definitely did that in this conversation that, yeah, cause I, I can feel a slight, a slight drain. I almost feel like in, in my body fear, I feel mm. fear. I, I feel because it feels like the the distance between your nature and my nature is so great um yeah i'm just like <laughs> i'm just like yeah i yeah fear fear of judgment if i was to really let all of me out because mm-hmm. like i said yeah i have i have a lot of energy um a lot of like power and I've been shamed in that a lot 
I've been I've mm. been shamed a lot mm-hmm. in my per- like I got expelled yeah. twice. I got suspended like twenty six times growing up when I was a kid. So like I yeah I was like kicked out of schools and suspended because I was literally too much. <laughs> That's what they literally said. Mm-hmm. Too much. So it's like yeah I have that like yeah that fear of um. Mm. But you know that's the same fear that I have, which brings me to the other polarity. Mm. So you, you you feel like you also have a lot that you want to bring forward, but you're afraid of the judgment, so you pull back in your base nature. Because I'm also pulling back, but my base nature is really strong. So it seems like my base nature is strong and I'm pulling back. And you've stated your base nature is calm and observant, but you're also pulling... Like, how does that work in the relationship? Well, I'm actually kind of stepping in more. Oh! Oh! Yeah, okay, I hear you. Right. So there's almost a balancing act of my nature might be more reserved and I'm stepping in and your nature might be more kind of stepping in and you're kind of pulling back. And, you know, for example, like when you asked me the initial question of tell us your story, you know, my body went into a huge stress response, Mm. you know, like increased heart rate, like all of that. So, that was me feeling seen, feeling heard, which for the invisible child archetype is very uncomfortable. The invisible child archetype is the one who feels much more comfortable not being seen and not being heard, mm. right? Because if I'm not seen and not heard, I can't be attacked or judged, etc. Mm. right? So telling your story is actually me stepping into myself as an individual, Mm. you know, and being an individual can be quite vulnerable. You know, if you want to get a little woo woo for a sec, being one with the universe can be a hiding spot. Yeah. Because if you're one with the universe, you're never an individual that someone else is in relationship with, which means you can get judged, you can get rejected, you can get abandoned, you can get attacked. So the shadow side of becoming nobody is the fear of being somebody. Mm. You know, this is why Ramda says you have to be somebody first before you become nobody. You know, this is why, like Paul Check says about psychedelics, you have to form a mind before you blow a mind. Whoa. (laughs) If you blow a mind before you form a mind or you become nobody before you become somebody, you lose connection to home base. Right? You lose connection to your identity as an individual self. Mm. Which is why, like we were talking earlier about that superior and inferior ego. Yeah. You know, like my invisible child, my nobodiness is very comfortable for me, but my work here as 
a soul is to develop more of an ego structure so I can come to know myself differentiated from other. Mm. Where the superior ego is the one who's like all about themselves, where they need to learn their interconnectedness of like, hey, yeah, you're an individual self, but you're also part of a greater whole. So the universe tries to annihilate that ego so it can come to know itself as part of a greater whole. But the inferior empathic person, inferior ego, I don't mean like less than, um, they already know themselves as interconnected because they can feel it. But mm -hmm. they don't really yet know themselves as an individual self, which is why most of the codependency patterns come from empaths, sensitive beings who feel other people's emotions and feel other people's energy and just have a hard time differentiating self from other. You know, this is why Matt Kahn talks about this teaching of like, the empath is here to build an ego and the narcissistic person is here to dissolve their ego. Right. Mm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Again, um, there's a lot, the last thing I'll say, um, cause we only have 10 more minutes till your, your appointment. Um, yeah, my life path is a weird one, man. Mm. Cause I think my base nature is high ego. And then I was like shattered down to nothing. And then now I'm rebit like it's like I'm just trying to get back to zero in some sense. Cause I'm very yeah. like like also what I what is weird about me is again, I like I'm a passionate person with a lot of energy, but I'm also highly empathic and highly mm -hmm. sensitive. So I'm like on on that duality spectrum, I don't really belong anywhere. I'm like I'm as sensitive well, as the sensitive kid, and I have, and I seem to have came out the world with a big ego. Well, it's the it's it's really it really comes down to the balance of power and humility, mm. right? So the empath on one end of the spectrum is all humility, no power, and then the narcissist, for example, is all power but lacking humility. So for you, it's a balancing act of empowered humility of, can I be in my power, but also be humble? You know, mm. you could say one side of the spectrum is the empath who's always throwing themselves under the bus. And the other side is, you know, the politician who feels as though they're God and mm. the center of the universe and lacks all humility. You know, where can we merge the two and find a nice balance of empowered humility? Mm. I think that's where we're all trying to get to. Mm. Amen. Which is not superior or inferior ego. It's kind of the, like you said, the zero point. Mm. All right. So now going into plug time. So <laughs> if you can please share with myself and everybody where we can find you what you're currently working on um, and if people want to support you, how they can support you. Yeah. So my, my home base is my website, healing4d.com. So that's where they can, you know, see all of my offerings. I have my online program, which is healing the mind, a journey to wholeness, which is a 21 day online program. It's a fully holistic approach to mental health. 
Um, one of the things that I'm doing a lot of work now is around archetypes. Mm. So around this time of year, I'm supporting a lot of people in casting their archetype wheel so they can kind of work with that in the new year. So on my website, they can see some information on that as well. And then the last thing is actually just on January 1st, my partner and I just launched an online community, a membership-based healing community, which is um, synergymedicine.us, where we do like weekly group coaching calls, live streams, put out content and courses and things like that. So one of the big things this year is kind of creating a sense of community with people with shared values on, you know, healing journey. So synergymedicine.us is the community platform for people to check out. So social media, um, Instagram is 4D healing. And I have a YouTube channel. It's just my name, Greg Schmaus. And I post um, some teaching videos on there as well. It's not, I'm not as active on YouTube as I am on Instagram. Um, so those would be the best places to find me in this universe mm, thanks man and uh yeah these podcasts are always vulnerable like you know in, in intense for me in a, in a non-intensive way like it's just yeah yeah it's it's intense for me there's a lot to process and i find every time i talk with you which has been two times <laughs> well even like you know a after and before like you know at the end for anyone that doesn't know like we me and you talked for i think like 20 minutes after the last podcast and got pretty vulnerable there um but yeah man i just find you like an excellent mirror like i find you so wise like you're just you're really wise you're very self-reflective and you look at things in a way that most people don't and I, I was just so impressed by you when I first came across you with Paul Check. I remember I showed my mom that podcast. She loves you too. And like I was like, Mom, you gotta check it. Uh you with Paul Check. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, like wait like two years ago or something. And yeah, I, I sent my mom uh -huh. that one and I was like, You gotta check this guy out. He's awesome. Like this podcast is great. And uh -huh. yeah, it's just it's cool to like have you on my podcast um after being a fan of you and Paul's um before man but yeah yeah you're a you're a very special person and i very value your your insights and just yeah man that that that, that space you give can be very confronting especially for someone like myself mm -hmm. who has a fast mind um but it's like yeah just yeah how, how you hold space and and the wisdom you have man I'm, I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast. So thanks. Yeah. And I appreciate the space that you hold on your show and just for giving me the opportunity to be a part of it. And, um, I'll also acknowledge that, you know, podcasting is a vulnerable thing for me as well because of what it brings up inside of me, given, you know, everything that I've shared you know, in this show about, you know, my nature growing up. So, you know, when I was asked certain questions, like the first question of like, tell me your story. And I noticed that fear and stress response. It was a podcast that I felt totally safe. And it was a person yourself that I felt totally safe holding space for myself while that stuff was coming up where 
there's other podcasters that might be interviewing me that I might feel like I have to perform at a certain level or I can't be that vulnerable. So there's a part of me that wants to like compartmentalize <laughs> those emotions and those fears and those vulnerabilities. But I never felt like I had to do that on your show. So that's a testament to also the space that you hold for your guests, um, myself being the guest today. So I appreciate that. Thanks, brother. I love you, dude, and take care, okay? You got it, man. Love you too, brother. Be well. Thanks for tuning into the show today, everybody. If you enjoyed it and you want to show your support, be sure to click the subscribe button and share this podcast with someone you feel will enjoy it. And before we go, I want to take another moment to thank our sponsors, Listening to Smile and Indigo Sun. And if you're interested in anything I mentioned regarding either of them, be sure to visit their websites, which are linked in the description of this podcast. And that's it. So I'll see you all in the next episode. I love you. Bye.